Welcome to Adult Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter two of The Amber Spyglass, Balthamos and Baruch. I don't know. Baruch, Baruch. It's fine. You said it fine. It's the in the audiobook they they kind of go on it, and I can't. I don't. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Hi, Faye. Hello. Hi. How how are you? Good. Aside from struggling to pronounce angel names. Yeah, it's difficult. I feel like um, Ashley in our Discord mentioned something about the pronunciation. I think she said it was Hebrew. She did, and it means something as does well. Does it mean blessed or blessed? I think it does, yes. It's a Hebrew word. The pronunciation is approximately Baruch. So I didn't need to go to town on the <laughs> CH as much as I did, perhaps. <laughs> um, Baruch, but can be pronounced with the same ending as Locke, as in like Scottish, to be more authentic. So maybe I, sh- I was okay with the CH. It's okay. Um, it means blessed one. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Baruch. So like lo- lo- loch. Mm. Baruch. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. I don't feel too bad now. <laughs> <laughs> well, how are you, Rich? How are you doing? I'm good, I think. Yeah. You know, the huge. <laughs> I'm very frazzled. I've got so much. There's loads going on. Faye's got a lot going on at the moment. We've switched. Because I feel like I, ha- I have had a lot going on or I had right up until just before just before we recorded the first of the episode after the break I had a lot going on in the break and now you've we're not breaking anymore and you've got a lot going on <laughs> yeah uh, hopefully the things that I've got going on will be like kind of over-ish soon so um but yeah lots exciting lots things though yeah but exciting we things. shan't say anything <laughs> less less we jinx it true so. very true i'm trying to think what have we been up to rich we've done loads of stuff together which which we has have. been nice what have we done we did have we <laughs> what did oh wait we went to the theater fucking hell we My did brain. we saw come from only away. two days ago <laughs> two days ago yeah we saw come from away it was great and we had a little had a little date night, and we also did a Buffy brunch a couple of weeks back. I don't think we we've did. recorded since that. That was so much fun. I was so smashed on prosecco that day. Yeah, that was so much fun. Yeah, I feel like I've actually now that things are opening back up, and you know we're both double vaxxed and feel a bit safer going out and doing stuff. I'm feeling like a London lady again because right? I was thinking like I spent a year and a half living here and haven't done anything Londony, and then like. This weekend I went to Cam. Well, I went to the theatre with you, and then I went shopping in Camden at like Camden Market yesterday, and I was like, I literally haven't done this in years. This is great. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird because like yeah, for the last like almost well yeah like year and a half, it's like I spent I've just spent my time around the area that I live in, and then yeah like going to like Soho and stuff. I was like, wow, remember London it exists? Mm. It's still there. Oh my god! I almost forgot that we went to Slam Dunk. Oh my god, we went to a festival that was very alien and like 
a lot of humans, but we did very well. It was such a good fucking day though. I fucking loved every second of it. Like, honestly, I just wish I could go back because it was so fucking good. And it was very exciting because McFly played a secret set and Rachel had me screaming in her face for like eight minutes. You know, when you tell like a 10 year old they're going to Disneyland... And they like flip out. That was Faye when she realised it was McFly because there was a guy in the crowd because Slam Dunk do a thing every year where they have a secret uh, secret performer that you don't know who it is. You just get told what's, what time slot and what stage they're on. And it's usually someone pretty cool. Last year it was busted. Uh, I did not see, I was not there last year, but I hear they were very, very good. And they were great. They I were do great. Like busted. Obviously it was, the, it was the year before, obviously, because last year was, oh, yeah. didn't happen. Last, last time. <laughs> and... Yeah, we were standing in the crowd waiting to find out who it was and a guy next to us was like, oh, it's McFly. And we were like, no, they're not very slam dunky. It won't be McFly. Psh, psh, it won't be that. And then it was McFly. And he, the, the I told you so on his face was so strong, but you were too busy being too happy to be annoyed by the I told you so because you were just like jumping around like a like yeah like a 10 year old that's been told they're going to Disneyland (laughs) it was so exciting I'm really glad I didn't know so basically when Busted played uh, I knew it was going to be Busted because they'd like tease the name on the lineup they'd put like Y3K for like year 3000 I didn't work it out Liam worked it out and he told me and so I was like okay I knew it was going to be Busted turned up and Busted played and it was amazing this time, I'd said to Liam Lourdes and like our other friends, oh, it'll probably be McFly this time because it was Busted last time and that makes total sense for it to be McFly. And then everyone was like, oh, no, but like Busted are a tiny bit more of a slam dunk bang than McFly are. And I was like, I let everyone convince me it wasn't. We were all convinced it was Yumi at six. People walked onto the stage. Johnny was like, that's not Yumi at six, because the lead singer of Yumi at six does not have a guitar. And I was like... It's not McFly though, because they wouldn't wear it. Like Danny was wearing a bucket hat. And I was like, I don't think Danny would wear a bucket hat. It, and then I saw Tom in his glasses and I was like, it's McFly, like in Rich's face for like a good five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very fun. I kind of wish I caught it on camera. <laughs> and then I like ran into the crowd and like, you guys were like, wait for us. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's the first festival I've been to in ages. And then also because of covid a lot of bands from the us ended up having to pull out because of all the restrictions and so it wasn't as packed of a lineup of i want to see this band at this time and like every single always having somebody to go and see next but that meant that we saw more bands that we didn't know very well and like um i watched doll skin and i'm now like obsessed with them so that's great <laughs> yeah i watched a band called vukovi who were fucking amazing and like the lead singer was scottish and like she couldn't hear anything in her like in ears, and she was like, "I can't fucking hear anything." So it sounds like shit. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was so great. But I I pulled you into a mosh pit, Rich. Remember at State Champs? You did. You, well, you tried. <laughs> I'm very good at standing at the edge and just doing for the podcast listeners, which is all of you. I'm miming standing at the edge of a mosh pit awkwardly. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I, I was just so excited to see State Champs because they were like the one band that I was scared were going to pull out because they're American, but they didn't. And it was great. And I, you know what? I just got smashed. Like, I was so drunk. By the end of the day, I was like, God, I'm very drunk. We got you home safe. It was all yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got home safe. Um, but yeah, uh, it was amazing. And I've just missed live music. Like, I've been going to a couple of gigs and stuff here and there, but there's something about being in a field um, with a bunch of like like-minded people um that I really love and I love to be back at Slam Dunk and I can't wait 
to go again next year. And because they moved it to September, it's usually in May. That means they've got less time to wait for next time. <laughs> yes. Brilliant. <laughs> what do we have to tell you all about today other than our adventures? Well, first and most importantly, we have some we have a new patron to thank. Yes. And that patron is Amy. Thank you Yay. so much, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Yay. We love you. you. We do. Thank you so much. Another exciting thing that we have to announce is new merch. Yes. New merch. <laughs> I'm just looking at the structure that we've put together and Rachel's just written merch, 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 merch. In, like in my caps. head as I was typing it, it was merch, 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 merch. Oh, amazing. <gasps> Incredible. Tell yes. me about your merch, 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 merch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. 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 So that's yeah. what we're doing. We're telling you about how much <laughs> we have. As always, the season one sticker pack, which is all of the artwork that I've drawn up for season one, that is still there, still available on its own or as part of the bundle. But the bundle has now been updated. So you you can now get all of the season two stickers, which are also available on their own. So we've got yeah, all of the season artwork from season two, season one. We've still got the awesome bookmarks. We've still got the podcast logo sticker. And I had a lot of fun designing a couple of little mini sticker packs Yay. that are Bear Dad and Balloon Dad themed. So if you want, it's each one has three big stickers on it and then a few little mini stickers that are like related. And they are all based around Lee and Yorick and they're great. I love them. They're so great. Yeah, yeah, I love them. And we are also working on T-shirts. But you just need to bear with us because it's quite difficult with all the logistics and stuff. But we're working on it. Just know. Just know it's cooking away in the background. Mm-hmm. Patrons, keep your eyes peeled because we might be asking you for opinions about fashion. <laughs> yeah, because like me and Rich, who just live in like baggy band T-shirts every day, are like, would somebody wear this? <laughs> I- I'm not sure. I'm not the right person to ask. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> help us please yeah there might be some votes going up for favorite designs yes and suggestions as well if you think that there's a cracking bit of merch that we've not thought of that you want on a t-shirt tell us because i i can draw it i'll try exactly it's probably worth mentioning with the merch as well um if you would like to join us on patreon if you join at a which level or higher then you will get a free merch pack anyway because that's just something that we do and if you join at the aeronaut level then you get a discount on merch i believe mm-hmm. you get a discount code at the aeronaut level and if you're an alethiometrist you get first dibs but unfortunately you're too late for first dibs on this batch of merch but if you were to sign up and we release like t-shirts and merch and stuff you'd probably get first dibs on that as well so you find out about it before everyone else yeah and that's patreon.com forward slash hdmpod yeah or come to my shop, rachmakes.co.uk, buy some other cute shit and add some HDM pod merch on top of it because it all just lives in my shop at the moment. It does, it does, it does, it does. Anyway, Rich, have you got something going on in October? I do. It is spooky season and I am doing my first ever Comic-Con in London. I did Birmingham Comic-Con just before the pandemic in like November and then that was my first like, ah, it's like Comic-Con, Comic-Con, it's MCM Comic-Con, it's one of the really big ones. But it was in Birmingham, so it wasn't as scary as the London one, which is fucking massive. So I'm very excited and a little bit scared. So if you are the kind of person that's going to show up to MCM Comic-Con for all of the 
awesome like panels and cosplays and all of the awesome artists that are there I'll I'll be hiding somewhere I don't know where yet and I'll let you know when I know <laughs> yeah and I think I'm gonna come and help so you'll see both yeah. of us yeah yes yes we'll both be there I will be Rachel's little helper that day Yes. Well, on one of the days, there's like three days. So, well, I've got that whole weekend free, babe. So, if you need me on three <laughs> days, I'll be there. Nice. Hey, Faye. Hey. What would your demon have been this week? My God, I almost forgot about this. I was about to launch straight into the chapter. What are you playing at? <laughs> I know. God. I have had a pretty annoying mental health week in the sense that, um, my anxiety has caused massive uh, procrastination vibes to the point where it's like my brain won't let me do things. So a lot of the time I've been like sat just staring at my like laptop screen, like just willing my brain to allow me to do what I need to do. And most of the time it hasn't let me do that. And it's been very fucking annoying. Um, So I looked into what animals procrastinate and apparently they did like experiments on like pigeons and pigeons procrastinate apparently oh my god <laughs> the procrastinating pigeon mm-hmm. so that is me yeah that's my demon this week i'm gonna be a pigeon i like that i like that vibe for you a lot would it be like a proper scraggly london pigeon with like one leg and like feathers that are like he's probably had a pint thrown over him at some point or <laughs> haven't we all <laughs> <laughs> and it's like scrabbling for chips or would it be like a plush little like wood pigeon that lives in the tree by your house and goes <laughs> it's definitely the scraggly london pigeon because that's just me in general <laughs> just scraggly london person scraggly af forever what about you what would your demon be this week I know it's only September, but I'm already getting spooky. Oh, yes, um, yes, yes, yes. I spent the last week doing some like pre-orders for my little acorns and doing spooky stuff for that. And my housemates have been growing pumpkins and squashes in the garden and they've like harvested a bunch of them. And we've just got like a little harvest cornucopia thing happening in the living room because we're like, we're just going to display them until we want to eat them. <laughs> um, and so it's already getting spooky in our house despite the protests of my partner and Sarah's partner. <laughs> they were like, it's only September. I don't care. I'm feeling spooky. I went to Camden yesterday and was like basically living my the dreams of my teenage goth self, like ha- going to Camden with grown-up money. Lol, grown-up money. I'm still grown-up self-employed. Money. I'm still a self-employed artist, but more grown-up money than... <laughs> still grown-up money right it's not, I mean it's not pocket money is it like your mum and dad aren't giving it to you that counts as grown-up money it's true. <laughs> true so yeah my first time in ages I've been to Camden with grown-up money I was like living my best goth life like shopping for things that I didn't need so I was like what's a really great slightly flamboyant gothy animal I literally typed in goth bird that's me <laughs> and the first thing that comes up is the Dracula parrot oh oh my there god there's a thing called a Dracula parrot um it's a beautiful parrot it's all black and it has a bright red uh chest plumage and some of them have like bright red eyes there's like super creepy gothy and like their faces so they're like all like fluffy and plumagey and lovely but then their faces get like heckin scraggly towards the front because they're like a little bit vulturey in the face um they're great they're like yeah i just think i'd look really cool with my new hat my like Stevie Nicks hat that I bought because yes, now I'm a hat person. Fucking amazing hat. That bird on my shoulder would look 
absolutely cracking. This this needs to happen, Rich. Yeah. You need to complete your like fucking little girl at a funeral look. Yes. Yeah. They're just embracing that I guess I'm an elder emo according to TikTok. And that's fine. Yeah. Well, whenever <laughs> me and Rich go out together, we look like your typical like lesbian couple of goth girl and eight-year-old boy. <laughs> it's just because you always wear dungaree shorts <laughs> and like a brightly coloured top. <laughs> and you just look like you're ready to go to the beach. <laughs> no, I'm always ready to go to the beach. You just need a little bucket and spade. <laughs> when we went for a meal the other night, Rachel ordered beer and I ordered wine and I was wearing like out of the two of us, like looking a bit more mask with like a shirt and jeans and Doc Martens on and Rachel was wearing a nice dress. And they kept putting the wine in front of Rich and the beer in front of me. And we were like, how fucking dare okay. you? <laughs> We are challenging those norms. But also just like after the first time when we blatantly been no, that sorry, that one's fine, that was fine. Just and when you're like, same again. <laughs> same again, but we'll, we'll switch it. I don't even like red wine. You don't even like beer. <laughs> I know. I know. How dare they? How fucking dare they? How dare. Anyway, yes, my goth parrot and your sad little pigeon <laughs> can be friends. Scraggly London pigeon and your uh, like beautiful goth parrot. Oh, it makes my heart really happy. Oh, oh god. Yes. Right, shall we get into this massive chapter? I wonder. Speaking of this chapter, I wonder if it's the longest in this book because all the rest seem to be very short. It's definitely the longest of the audio book. I'm not going to check page numbers because that's effort. Not that I'm not willing to make an effort for you all, dear listeners, but it's a lot easier for me to scroll through the audiobook chapter length. So this chapter is 40 minutes and 48 seconds on the audiobook, and it is the longest. Wow, okay. Yeah, the next longest is like 35 minutes. I struggle with longer chapters because it hurts my brain a bit, so I'm kind of happy about that. This is a book of many and small chapters. Yes, yes it is. (laughs) Except for this one, which is a beast. Last chapter, we found Mrs. Coulter camping, hiding out in a cave with the kidnapped Lyra, who was being kept in a drugged sleep. We met Amma, a local village girl who brought food and supplies to Mrs. C and saw the sleeping Lyra. Lyra had a strange dream where she spoke to Roger in the world of the dead. In this chapter, Will vows to find Lyra and enlists our new angel friends, Balthamus and Baruch, to help him, despite their plans to take him to Asriel. Baruch goes ahead to find Lyra and Coulter while Will journeys on with the ever-sarcastic Balthamos. After a very tense encounter with another angel who calls down Metatron, Will and the angels escape to another world, where the angels tell Will more about their mission and we learn more about the authority. Lyra continues her dream conversation with Roger and promises that she and Will will find him. Okay, here we are. Here we are in this long, long chapter. Are you ready for the snippet segment? Do we have time for it? Yes, of course. My first That was my first question that I wrote down was, tell us about the snippet, Rich. I will. So, the I shall first read the snippet so you know what we're talking about. Yeah, because we, we actually got an email, I'm so sorry, I can't remember who it was from, but that said that some people don't have them in their books. Oh, interesting. We'll definitely take a picture so that you can see how it's formatted because it's basically, if you've had the little icons in the corners, 
of any of your... Oh, it's, it is formatted differently as well because the icons were usually above the chapter header, weren't they? The icons were in the top right, aren't weren't they? No, I'm thinking about the little lantern slides that Phil drew. Oh, no, they were. So in the, they're in the same positioning. If you had a little lantern slide illustration, they're formatted in the same way as the little illustrations at the beginning of each chapter. Where are they? Show me yours. Is yours different? Have you just got a fucking quote? Have you got pictures? I don't have pictures. Oh, you don't have pictures? No, my, no. Yeah, my, my, I've just got... <laughs> throwing books all over the place. <laughs> Professionalism. I have... Um, we'll have to share this on the Instagram. I've got the quote and a picture. So the picture is a little like bar of chocolate. And the first chapter picture was the little streaming flags. Do you know at the... the oh. thing? Yeah. Well, you'll have to tell me what your pictures are each week because I've not got them. No, we've got two new segments now. I love it. I mean, I still have the quote as well. I have the quote and the picture. On some of mine, it's really hard to read the quote because it's arranged in like a word art way in the box. And sometimes if the text is too small, it's like getting... Because it's all white text on a black background. It's like really hard for me to read the bit where it says the book of Job. So the quote. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. Again, it's very on the nerves, isn't it, like the last one? It is. But interestingly, so, obviously, went away, had a little look, because it's from the Book of Job, and I, therefore, obviously, Googled it, because I, to be honest, anything that says Job, I immediately just think of Arrested Development. <laughs> Me too. I also read this as Job, so... Oh, yeah. It is, I think it's Job. I'm pretty sure it's Job. Yes, because that's what the audiobook said. I... That's why it's in my head. Yes. I don't care for Job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it's a Bible verse, uh, but more specifically, the book of Job is a book of Hebrew scripture. It's found in the third section of the biblical canon known as the Ketuvim or the writings. And the theme of the book in general or of this section in general is the eternal problem of unmerited suffering. And the central character Job attempts to understand the sufferings that engulf him. Hashtag same. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag that's why I go to therapy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The basic gist is it varies from like source to source that I've read because I've read a bit of the full source material and I can read you some of the quote that surrounds it and I will um but I've also read a few different synopsises online but the basic gist is it centers around the main character who is Job and he is a very wealthy and well-to-do and pious man um and very religious and very like good and the devil is goaded or satan is goading god and is like you are so proud of this guy that's so pious, but like if he wasn't wealthy, if he wasn't well-to-do, he wouldn't be so pious, he wouldn't be so religious if he didn't have all of this good stuff. And either Satan or God, depending on the different versions you've read, then takes away... I One version that I've read is God gives permission to take away all this stuff from Job and the other is that God's like fine and takes all this stuff away from Job. And then basically he has all of his children die, all of his money is taken away, all of his flocks die like and then he starts being inflicted with like ailments and illnesses god to test his faith that happens in the prologue there's a prologue and an epilogue and the central format of the book is that it's a bunch of different poetic conversations where job is discussing with variously with his friends and fam and remaining family and 
uh, also with like more like theoretical things, his response to his suffering and questioning his faith through the suffering and whether he still believes in God when he's had everything taken away from him. And it's that's why it's an ex that entire set of poems is kind of an exploration of why God lets bad things happen to supposedly good people or to good people full stop because bad things do happen to good people. But like the whole like Satan questioning it was the good person part I was referring to there. So my theory is to potentially why Phil's picked this out as well is we know from the first chapter where he used a quote from a William Blake poem that he's probably a bit of a fan of William Blake and William Blake is an author, a poet and a printmaker or an illustrator. And Blake has illustrated a version of the book of Job and that specific quote, the a spirit passed before my face and the hair of my flesh stood up, is one of the panels that one of the sections that he's chosen to illustrate. And so I'll send you the illustration that goes with it. But I wonder if this is why this particular quote is the one that Phil's picked, as well as the fact that it is relevant to the content of the chapter. It also feels like something that he might have picked out because he's a William Blake fan because I skimmed through the rest of the book and he has definitely quoted Blake in at the beginnings of other chapters but it's definitely something that he is interested in which That's is cool good yeah very interesting Ridge well done thank you I tried I that sounded sarcastic it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can sense I have a certain amount of apprehension when attempting to tackle biblical stories because there's so many different tellings and so many different translations it can be really tricky to like decipher what you want from them. So the quote that surrounds it, however, flagged for me a little bit because I was like, oh, I wonder what comes before and after this within the verse. And a bit after it pricked my ears a little as I was reading it because it mentions dust. So I will read through and see if you think it mentions dust in the same way or if it just means like regular old dust. Fear came upon me and trembling which made my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, the hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof and the image was before mine eyes. There was silence and I heard a voice saying, shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? Behold, he put no trust in his servants and his angels he charged with folly. How much less in them that dwell in the houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, which are crushed before the moth. They are destroyed from morning to evening. They perish forever without any regarding it. Bloody hell, Bible stuff is hard to read out loud. <laughs> it really is. It really is. It's all like Yoda. Um <laughs> But it mentions them that dwell in houses of clay whose foundation is in the dust, which I think is interesting because Phil talks a lot about how dust is the foundation of all things and like the creation of things. I don't think it's a co I don't think it's a coincidence, you know. No. Much like the story that we had last week where the little girl was called Lyca. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. He's just making more work for himself, isn't he? Like And more work for us. Thanks, yeah. Phil. Thanks, Phil, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Didn't expect myself to be looking through, like, the King James Bible today. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start this chapter properly. Yes, to the actual content of the book. <laughs> so we're back with Will, and it's nice to be back with Will. I feel yeah. like I'm, I missed him. And also he's one of our main characters that's actually awake. So... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> nice to see you, Will. This feels much more like the start of the second book where we're straight back into it and it starts with Will talking and he's like, 
be quiet, just be quiet, don't disturb me. And he's clearly like having a little panic. Yeah, he's so like mean to these angels the whole way through. And I know that he gets it back from whole Balthamos, but he's just very, um, if he was a girl, people would call him bossy. Yes, but also I'm appreciating it because he's in crisis and he could easily be led to do what the angels want him to do if he was like having a panic where he felt indecisive. So at least he's being decisive and it's favouring him towards helping Lyra. (laughs) True, true. So this is just after Lyra's been taken. So it's pretty much starting where we left off in the second book with Will. Yeah, it makes a point of telling us that this is very much immediately after she's been taken. So I get, get we get the impression that this chapter is actually starting a few days before the chapter that we just had with Mrs. Coulter. Yeah, I think so. He has Lyra's backpack with the alethiometer in it. And that's kind of something that I didn't think of last time, like who had the alethiometer. Um, but it's good to know that Will's got it because we don't want Mrs. Coulter to have it. And it also tells you a lot about how, how Lyra went missing because she'd never leave it behind voluntarily. Yeah. Exactly. He uh, asks the angels if they can read the alethiometer. They say no, and they tell him that he has to go to Azrael. They have a little conversation here about Jopri. Well, R.I.P. Jopri, I suppose. I still don't know how I complete completely Hashtag how I feel about him. Hunt Jopri. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. exactly. R.I.P. Lee. Anytime we talk about Jopri, yeah. we feel like R.I.P. Lee. R.I.P. Lee. Hunt Jopri. He says, like, who made you follow my father? You said he didn't know you were following but he, following him, but he did. He told me to expect you. He knew more than you thought. Who sent you? And, like, this begins, like, a little bit of a theme running through this chapter where, like, Will, now that his father has, like, passed away, he's doing that thing that a lot of people do where he is, like, he's holding him up, like, putting him on a pedestal, like my father was amazing and like he would have done this and like he would have done that and blah blah he'd know what to do and it's like well actually you don't know that like you're just you're you're grieving like you you're trying to but also he never had chance to ever get let down by his dad because he met him he the moment he knew who he was he was taken away right so he already had his dad on a pedestal and it's just that has been maintained by his absence he's can't be disappointed by somebody that never got a chance to fulfill or disappoint. <laughs> True. The angel's reasoning seems to be like, what did he want you to do, right? You're saying that your dad knew more than he was letting on. What did he want you to do? And Will is kind of hesitant to be like, well, he did also say I should take the knife to Azrael, but I'm not doing it till I found Lyra. And he like puts his foot down and I'm so here for that. <laughs> yeah. He continuously does that throughout this chapter and he continuously says that Lyra is the most important thing, etc. And it's just really sweet. Because like, again... We are looking and talking about children and I know that I would have been very easily convinced to basically do whatever, like, adult was there wanted me to do. I know, like, I did adult in air quotes because I don't know if we can really say that about angels, but, you know, like, the older figure and I'd be like, okay. Well, they're pretty old. They're, like, the most grown-up of grown-ups that have ever grown up, right? True. However many thousands of years old they are. (laughs) True, very true. Will asks straight away, like, who's stronger, humans or angels? And we learn that humans are stronger than angels because humans are solid and angels are not. Yes, we have true flesh 
um, unlike the angels. And Will's logic here kicks straight in. And he's like, well, if I'm stronger, I'm in charge. Yeah, right. <laughs> like that's that seems to me that's very like school child thing to say. I'm the strongest. So everybody has to listen to me. It's not how things should work. But in this situation, f- fine, I guess. I very much appreciate the angels consistently throughout this chapter where they're not they physically will knows now they physically can't force him to do anything they can't drag him away and just take him in the knife to Azrael. but the angels are very like honest consistently when they're like very well you're making a mistake though you give us no choice so we'll help you find this child and it's like especially Balthamos is not scared to be like you're making a mistake. You're doing the wrong thing, but I'm still helping you because obviously I have to help you. I feel I'm just going to, I wrote this down, but I'm just going to bring it up now because it's just changed my life. So we got an email last week from somebody called Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Hi. They said that Balthamos, they think of Billy Eichner. And honestly, it has just completely changed the way that I think about Balthamos because it's so fucking true. (laughs) <laughs> like, it really fucking is. And I love it so much. That's just how I'm going to think of uh, Balthamos from now on. I love it. Let's go, lesbians. Let's go. <laughs> Balthamos on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So, we learned, like, Will can't really see them. Like, there's only certain times and, like, parts of the day where you can see, like, a bit of a vague outline. But they're, like, pretty much invisible, especially in, like, full daylight. I get the impression it's almost similar to th- this when they're starting to come into vision and they see like hazes in the air like I imagine there's some really interesting parallels that could be drawn there which intrigues me as to how they might deal with it on the tv show because there's some really different descriptions throughout this of how easy or hard it is to see these angels and good luck Russell I was literally just gonna say that good luck Russ we're rooting for you (laughs) we learn that they're not a high high order of angel either so they're like quite on the low side of the hierarchy of angels It seems like the less powerful or the less high they are in the hierarchy, the harder it is to see them or the more insubstantial they seem, which we'll see later when we meet somebody that's significantly higher up in the food chain. One of the angels, uh, Baruch, agrees to go and look for Lyra and track them, basically, and Balthamos stays with Will, begrudgingly, which I love. Uh, (laughs) Will has a little nap. Bless his heart. He must be absolutely knackered. When do we think the last time they slept was? I have no idea. I have truly no idea. Was it potentially just after the witches did their spell on his hand? Maybe. Did he like have a fitful night's sleep after that? I feel like it's been a really long time since they've had it. He must he must have been awake for like 48 hours or something, surely. Not like Lyra, who's having the fucking best kip of her life. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's actually a restful sleep, you know? It'd be rubbish if she woke up and it's one of those sleeps where you slept really deeply but you don't feel rested. (laughs) Yeah. So, Will is asleep. He wakes up to a voice just saying, nowhere. What nowhere? (laughs) So basically he's saying, uh, Balthamos says that they went further down the mountain and they didn't find anyone. They haven't found Lyra or Mrs. Coulter, but they did find a dead man. Who is that? Yes, I think I jumped the gun and said that that Baruch's already gone ahead to look but I think actually that's not quite yet or is it it's very this chapter is very much like a confusing set of like 
Beric's gone to find Lyra and now he's back. Now Balthmos has gone to find water for Will and now he's back. And it's just like, there's just fucking angels all over the place. <laughs> but there is a dead man. He was in his 60s, fleshy and smooth skinned. And I really fucking hate the description saying fleshy. Ew, what is that? What does that even mean? Is it Phil saying that he's fat, basically? Is that Phil being a bit fat phobic or not? Know. I don't know. Fleshy just feels oh so gross to me. It makes me think of uh, the demon Balthazar from Buffy. Do you know the one that's in like... Is that like, partly because you've been reading Balthamos all Yes, I think so, yeah, yeah. And it's the one that's like, my son, the friend, and he's in that horrible like... Hot tub. Hot tub and he's very fleshy. Yeah, it's an it's a very odd description, um, especially about somebody that you know is dead, fleshy. No, thank you. Uh, silver grey hair, dressed in expensive clothes, and with traces of a heavy scent around him. And Will's like, I know that guy. I know who that is. That's Sir Charles. And just immediately goes, Yeah, Mrs. Coulter must have killed him. Good read, Will. Good read. Accurate, but interesting that he went straight there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fair enough, though, right? So this is, literally, this is where Balthamor says that Baruch has gone to, they've left traces, so Baruch has followed that, so he's gone now. They go to find the, like, camp area where Boreal is dead. And it's not very nice, this is it. Are you going to read it because it's gross? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the storm had cleared the air and the morning was fresh and clean, which only made the scene around him more distressing. For nearby lay the bodies of several of, several of the witches who had escorted him and Lyra towards a meeting with his father. Already a brutal beat carrion crow was tearing at the face of one of them and Will could see a bigger bird circling above as if choosing the richest feast. I have a quite it is gross. It is gross. I love gross stuff and I don't like it because I like the witches and I don't want their faces to get eaten by birds. But I do have a question, and that question is why are they dead? Because spectres don't kill people. Yes, but I think once you've I don't know, because he mentions that there's a spectered witch somewhere, and so you assume that she's still alive, but you know, probably perishing through lack of bothering. This is like what makes it like really brutal, right? Is that these are these how long have they been away? Because, like, what would they have died of? They Would they have died of starvation? Exposure? What have they died of? It's very strange to me. Yeah. Also, is it just there has been some kind of fight? Is it, is it did they get spectred while flying or something? I don't know. Maybe. I suppose that is a good... Yeah, but the spectres don't fly in... They fly in the TV show. Do they fly in the books? Only when Joppery told them to, and did Coulter tell them to? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Fucking hell. I've already forgot everything that happened in this little night. Goldfish. Yeah. Except for goldfish, we can remember things for like six months, and I can't do that. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I would like clarification on that from Phil, please. Just going to call him up and ask him. Yeah. Are they dead? Are they spectred? If they're spectred, it's even fucking grimmer. If, if they're alive while it's happening, that's extra horrific. I would also like to call this next bit out for just being rude. Will looked at each of the bodies in turn, but none of them was Seraphina Pecola, the queen of the witch clan, Lyra's particular friend. Then he remembered, hadn't she suddenly left on another errand not long before? That's <gasps> Phil. Rude. Yeah. Rude. Don't want it. Don't want to think about it, to be honest. It's not what I want. Yeah, thanks for reminding us. Thanks for reminding us. Just any chance you get is just like, oh, it's... Cough, cough, Lee's dead. Remember that time I made you all cry? Thanks. 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 Yeah. I wonder why Cheers. I wonder why Serafina left the group. Oh yeah. 
God. to be too bloody late. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, this, you know, like Will's like, oh, maybe Serafina's still alive. Will says to Balthamoth, where are you? And Balthamoth says, beside you came the voice, as always. And I read that first as being really sweet. Like, oh, I'm here as always. But now I'm reading it as being really sassy. Beside you, as always. As soon as Lauren sent that email about him being Billy Agnew, it just changed my view of him completely. Yeah, I have no. to say that the audiobook does a very good job of like deadpan sass. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. It, it's very like, very sarcastic. Very, there's, you will get to the line, but there's a great line that the audiobook delivers very well. <laughs> we learn that the angels' names are Balthamus and Brooke. That is, or Will learns at least. And that, you know, other people can't see them. So that Will's pretty safe to wander around with them and look like he's on his own, which is great. There's a, a quote here that I really like. Will considered what to do. When you choose one way out of many, all the ways you don't take are snuffed out like candles, as if they'd never existed. At the moment, all Will's choices existed at once, but to keep them all in existence meant doing nothing. He had to choose after all. It's a good descriptor of like... Feeling a little bit of decision paralysis. As long as you don't do anything, anything can happen. Yep. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Will discovers after go, like choosing to go down the mountain to find the lake and the camp, he discovers that his hand isn't hurting. He's not thought about it since he woke up. And he checks it out and it's no longer like persistently bleeding. There must be something antiseptic in the blood moss ointment that his dad gave him i think dr anna would be pleased to find out that it's finally been treated in a way that might actually save the hand and not have him overwhelmed by sepsis (laughs) yeah Uh, do you want to hear my note on this you're not gonna like it no i just read daddy healed his hand (laughs) why daddy (laughs) Faye. It is a bit like um, Will has some very rose-tinted glasses about Joppery in this moment and I'm very thankful that Joppery gave him the blood moss ointment that's healed his hand but also he doesn't need a parade, (laughs) you know? Yeah, one thing in like, what, how old is Will? Like 13, in 13 years. Cheers, Dad. Thanks for that one thing you did for me. (laughs) Yeah. So they're, they're like moving on, like Will is trying to find somewhere. Well, actually, I don't think they are moving on yet, although they're still at the camp. But Will is trying to find water. So like he gets to the lake and he drinks. Every time Will starts a conversation with Balthamas, he's like, Balthamas and Balthamas is like, always here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always yeah. here, always listening, always by your side. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. For fuck's sake. So Will asks where the, where the dead man is, where Boreal is. And if there's any spectres around and Balthamos says no, Will basically heads towards the rock where Boreal is dead. I want to shout out to the tiny lizard that makes Will jump as he's walking through the grass because we love a tiny lizard. We do, we do, we do, we do. (laughs) So like Will's looking intense to see what he can steal and he finds some food and like some other bits. He finds some mystery meat and just slices a bit of that up for himself Fucking mystery meat also <laughs> mystery i'm me. Like, good god i am surprised at the amount of stuff that colter left behind i know that she had to travel like she was like fucking dragging lyra with her but you know she did leave quite a lot i guess she took what she could carry will says that there's not much in any of the other tents so i wonder if she 
didn't stick around long after Boreal had died and got stuff from other tents, which is an interesting concept because you'd think that she'd be quite cold about it and would take whatever she needed from the tent she was in and not give a shit about the dead body. But maybe maybe there was something there that she felt slightly uncomfortable around. I don't know. Maybe that's a reason that other tents are empty and she isn't. Or maybe everyone else has moved on and they're just like, Ugh, don't go in that one. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he wasn't dead yet. I feel like she'd wait and watch, right? No? I don't know. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> is, she, is she got that level of like Villanelle vibes about her? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> the monkey would definitely be sad if they left too soon. Yes, absolutely. We get a description of dead Boreal. The body of the man known in Will's world as Sir Charles Latram and in Lyra's world as Lord Boreal, the man who stole her alethiometer, which theft in turn led to the subtle knife itself. Sir Charles had been smooth, dishonest and powerful and now he was dead. His face was distorted unpleasantly and Will didn't want to look at it, but a glance inside the tent showed that there were plenty of things to steal so he stepped over the body to look more closely. I love the he was smooth, dishonest and powerful and now he was dead. It's like really blunt, but it makes like it's a very satisfying sentence the way it's structured. Also, his face being distorted unpleasantly makes me think of the film The Ring. Have you seen it? It's somebody poisoned in it? It's the one where you watch a videotape and you die in seven days. Yeah. And it's like when you, whenever like they find the people dead, they've always got like a really weird, like distorted face. Oh. I feel like The Ring's one of those films where I started watching it and then it was too scary. So I didn't. It fucking terrified it. me when I was. <laughs> I watched it like when I was a child and it scared the living shit out of me. But now, if I watched it now, I think it was hilarious, I would imagine. I'm a scaredy cat and I probably couldn't, still couldn't watch it. Yeah. Oh, maybe I'll put it in the Halloween bowl this year. No. Just for you. Just for you. <laughs> so Will, again, thinks about his dad in quite a rose-tinted way, but it that he would genuinely would be useful. He thinks about his father, the soldier, the explorer, would have known exactly what to take. But Will had to guess. It would have been handy if Joppery had been allowed to stick around for a bit longer to help Will get set up for his journey. He probably did have a lot of knowledge to impart that he didn't get to. And so poor Will has to go around and he basically does a little supermarket sweep of the dead man's tent, <laughs> picks up a bunch of stuff, including some Kendall mint cake. Have you had Kendall mint cake? I don't like mint. I don't like mint flavour in any kind of like sweet thing. I don't mind mints and like stuff, actual mints, but no, mint flavour in anything sweet. No, thank you. My old housemate at uni is from Kendall in the Lake District, which is where Kendall mint cake is from. And if you are from anywhere but the UK and don't know what Kendall Mint Cake is, because I don't know how global it went, because it seems like a very specific Lake District product. It's basically just like really sugary, minty bar, basically. It's, what's what, How would you describe the texture? It's like, it's almost like eating icing sugar. I've never had it. I don't even know what it, I don't even know what it looks like. I just knew I won't like it because it's mint flavoured. Yeah, it's basically like a bar of almost like, it's very sugary, of like pure sugar. And pe- the reason that... It's very popular in the Lake District, which is where it's from, is people quite often take them for like that sugar sugar boost that you need when you're like halfway through hiking up a mountain, which explains why they'd have it on this expedition. I did think it was a weird choice to have that, but now it makes sense. Yeah, especially like if it's the kind of thing I think Phil would throw in if he does a lot of hikes or has done like Lake District holidays and stuff. It's the kind of thing where he's like, oh yeah, Kendall mint cake. <laughs> That's a proper like British vibe. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, we get like absolute fucking sass pot Balthamos here 
with uh, Will says, do you think I need anything else? And he says, you could do with some sense, came the reply, some faculty to enable you to recognise wisdom and incline you to respect it and obey it. Oh, are you wise? Sorry, I didn't know. <laughs> That's how I took the Will saying, yeah, are yeah. you wise? Like, uh, oh, oh, are you wise? <laughs> Much more so than you. <laughs> oh. Actually. <laughs> Love it, love, love, love it. But the bit that comes up next, I would love to have a conversation with you about. So Will says, uh, well, you see, I can't tell. Are you a man? You sound like a man. And Balthamore says, Baruch was a man, I was not. Now he is angelic. Can we take this to mean that Baruch was a man and probably uses he, him pronouns? Balthamos has not actually given us, us their pronouns at this point, And they've said that they weren't a man. So... Do we think Balthamos is non-binary? Do we think that their angelic form is beyond the gender binary? <laughs> Very interesting. Because the angels that Rutus Gardi meets say that they are beyond the binary and that Rutus sees them as male or female just because that's how her, her tiny mind is made according to the angels. So is that the same for Balthamos? When he says, I was not a man, like, I just took that to mean that he was never human. I definitely think Balthamos was never human because that's what they're saying in this statement. I just find it really interesting that Will says, are you a man? You sound like a man. And Balthamos chooses to not not say yes or no, but to say Baruch was a man. I was not. Now he is angelic. Balthamos hasn't given themselves a gender at any point. Obviously... Phil is writing this from Will's perspective and Will's decided that he looks and sounds like a man and then has asked for clarification but not been given it. But I don't know how we want to approach the character as we continue the podcast. <laughs> I think that it's probably very similar to what you just said about Ruta meeting the angels. She like kind of imposes gender on them because it's easier for her to do that. I think that's probably what Will's doing here if it's a similar situation. Because I definitely don't think Phil would have been thinking about any of this stuff back when he wrote it in terms of like pronouns and gendering and things like that. We know from some questionable tweets that Phil struggles with the singular they and has been learning and is hopefully continuing to learn and we would are keeping an eye on his progress. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense as to why Phil's not chosen to use they know them pronouns throughout the book. I just I just found it a really interesting statement. Do do we feel that Balthamos is non-binary? I do not know. Is that canon that any of you have got from reading that sentence and identifying with it? I would love to know as well. We we learn that like uh, that Balthamos and Baruch have like a connection that Baruch will find them wherever they go. We also like just to just to clarify as well, we learn obviously Baruch was alive uh, 4000 years ago and Balthamos is much older than that. I particularly love, again, just any time Balthamos is going to be particularly sarcastic, I will read it out because I love it. And one of this is, um, Will's asking, but how do people become angels? And Balthamos is like, what is the point of this metaphysical specu speculation? <laughs> Will's just like, I want to know. And he's like, better stick to your task. You've plundered this dead man's property. You have all the toys you need to keep you alive. Now may we move on? The level of sass. I just can't even handle it. All the toys you need to keep you alive is so petty. So, like, I love it. I will say that I got a bit, like, irrationally angry at this next bit where Will asks Balthamos how Lyra read the Aletheon 
the alethiometer and Balthamos is like, it's quite possible she made it up. I was like, no, she fucking did it. How fucking dare you? <laughs> Just another grown up doubting Lyra's skills. Just another grown up doubting Lyra. It happens all the time. And then she proves herself. It just, you know, angels can be small minded too. <laughs> Very true. And Will obviously sticks up for her and he's like, no, she she was telling the truth. She told me things she could never have known otherwise. And then uh, Balthamos is like, oh, then it's as much of a mystery to me, I assure you. So actually admitting you don't know something, which is from the level of sarcastic sass he's been giving. It, it seemed like he might have been a bit of a know-it-all, but he, he admits when he doesn't know all. <laughs> Looking at the alethiometer makes Will feel curious about the knife because he remembers Lyra telling him about the state of mind that she gets into when she uses the alethiometer, etc. So he takes it out and he cuts a small window. And now we just learn a bunch of new stuff about the knife. <laughs> I love the descriptions in this we probably don't have time to read all of them but the gist is will realizes that he's just been cutting through the first time he felt a snag and that he's never explored further than the first snag and then he gets himself into the alethiometer state of mind or the knife state of mind and just I'm very excited to see how they do this in the TV show, but picturing it of just him sat on a log with this really bored, sarcastic angel sat next to him and he's just got his eyes closed and is like moving a knife around in the air like a centimetre up and down and left and right is hilarious. And then the description of how it feels, how the different snags in the air feel and how he's starting to get a sense of like the different pressures and... It's, it's just so beautifully worded. Have you picked out any particular quotes? Um, I really liked the, um, it was like tracing a row of stitches while pressing so softly that none of them were harmed. I love that. Yeah. He found that they each had a different quality. This one was hard and definite, that one cloudy, a third one was slippery and the fourth brittle and frail. But among them all were some that he felt more easily than others. And already knowing the answer, he cut one through to be sure. His own world again. And so it's like he knows, he feel, he can feel home with the tip of a knife point. It's so cool. <laughs> and he can then, like, he works out after Balfour gets bored and is like, ugh, what, why are you doing this? Because um, he's very impatient. Will also works out that he can feel the difference between if he's going to cut through and it's in midair, if he's going to cut through and it's on the same level of ground as he is. And that's so cool as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I love all this like experimentation with the knife. He cuts through to a world that's got like blue bison in it, which is cool. With amazing like head frills and that also don't give a shit. He walks into their world and they're like, oh, and carry on eating. <laughs> yeah, basically like a cow would do, right? If you walked into a field that's got loads of cows on it, they just give you a glance and be like, okay. He's relieved that he's found out more about the knife because it obviously makes him feel a lot safer knowing you know, all these different little things about it that he could cut through to like, he knows now that he could find a world that had the ground on the same level so that if he ever had to like escape in a hurry like we see later, then he knows how to do that now. It says a lot for instinct, right? Which is what I, I like a lot about Lyra and Will is that they both like are very in touch with their instincts and obviously, you know, they have to be to get into that state of mind to use a knife and the alethiometer. But I like that a lot of these books are like following your gut instincts and stuff like that because I think that's very important in life and everybody should do that more because usually your gut feeling is correct. Mm -hmm. Yes. He cuts through to like a few different worlds and I one of the ones that make, gives me a bit of the belly rumblings is that he opens one and he's like above 
in the smoke-laden air above an industrial city with a line of chained, sullen workers trudging into a factory. And it's like, all right, Phil, write a dystopia. I do not like that. I do not like that. No, there's no there's no need, Phil. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Balthamos, are you going to stay here all day? And Will's busy, like, feeling a little bit sick because he's been concentrating too hard for too long. So he puts the knife away and says to Balthamos, Balthamos says, well, are you ready now? And Will says, yes, I'll explain if you like, but you don't seem very interested. Love it. There's a lot of, like, I think this chapter was difficult for me to get through because I th- I mentioned it earlier, but there's so much, like, stop-starting. It's all just Balthamos interrupting Will. <laughs> we're moving and now we're stopped and now we're moving and now we're stopped. It's very um, confusing, I think, for the old brain. I think maybe this is the sassiest line that I picked out. It could be another, but I think this is it, which is um, Balthamos being like, oh, I find whatever you do a source of perpetual fascination, but never mind me. <laughs> And again, the audiobook does a fantastic job of delivering it. Oh, God, the way that you said that just made me think of like a Disney villain. And I can't think of which one. Do you feel like he's going to break into poor, unfortunate souls? No, it's not Ursula. Is it Jafar? No. Scar? Scar. It's Scar. Yeah, because Scar's very like sarcastic, isn't he? Like, oh, God. Yeah, yes. And especially the wordiness of it. Oh, I find whatever you do a source of perpetual fascination. Very scar. Love that. <laughs> Love that journey for Love you, Balfamas. Balfamas <laughs> lets Will know that there are people coming. But also just in like, again, a very, just a very sarcastic way. Just like, but never mind me. What are you going to say about these people who are coming? What are you going to say to these people who are coming? And Will's like, what people? How am I supposed to know this? I've been sitting here with my eyes closed. <laughs> I'm not omniscient. <laughs> the level of like sass is like, I would be so fucking frustrated if I was Will. They set off away um, from the people. They keep moving. Will asks where there's some water nearby. Balthamus gets excited because he senses Baruch. I love the descriptions. There's, okay, the character building that is this irritable, impatient, sarcastic, deadpan, short-tempered angel melting and being like as excited as a child at the thought of seeing their partner or having this like beautiful like joyful it's like naivety it's like hope it's just like melting this like icy exterior when his like love arrives it's or when their love arrives is it gets me (laughs) it makes me very happy (laughs) the fact that these angels are very clearly in a queer relationship it takes me by surprise because I just I wouldn't expect it Phil like I I don't know why I don't know if that's me being um unnecessarily harsh on Phil but of the time as well like when they were written in the 90s like this is great it's like amazing and like there's no we've spoken off the pod about how people like J.K. Rowling have retconned characters to to be gay that wasn't really written in the text or was very subtextual, whereas this is not subtextual at all. This is this is text. This is a perfect example of how you just you just fucking write it down, and then everyone knows, and you don't have to guess, and you don't have to tell people you should have known all along because you just write it on the pages in the book and the people know like thanks jk 
sorry <laughs> that's my rant <laughs> no totally I completely and utterly agree with you and like I just think that Balthamos and Baruch have a wonderful loving relationship and it's written on the page really beautifully and it's also great that Will senses that and there's no question of it there's no like oh what's going on here it's just it's just pure wonderful love for each other that like it's just there and I love it I love it yeah we're not quite at all the like most extra heartwarming bits just yet but the quote that I absolutely love is um because obviously Balthamos has felt that Baruch has come through here or passed through here and Will asks how do you know where he is did you read his mind and Balthamos says of course I read his mind wherever he goes my heart goes with him we feel as one though we are two and it's like oh, oh. you oh, guys god, <laughs> god. you too yeah. <laughs> stop Gosh. being so cute so cute where Balthamos has sensed Baruch, there's also a window that goes into Lyra's world. And that's where Mrs. Coulter and Lyra have gone. Will asks Balthamos if they can turn into a bird. And Balthamos turns into a bird. And Will's like, great, so you can pretend to be my demon because people in Lyra's world get scared if you don't have a demon. They think that you're weird and they won't trust me and I need to pass in this world as being one of these people. And Balthamos's response is, how tedious. <laughs> How tedious. <laughs> and I love it. I also love the, I shall only do this when it's absolutely necessary. It's unspeakably humiliating, which is another very, it's like Scar. It's kind of like Scar and Zazu, like mixed together. If there were one being, I feel like it would be Balthamos. Yes. Mm. Yes. <laughs> oh, so perfect. And just imagining this like blackbird existing, pretending to be Will's demon and like, hating every minute of minute of it and you're like you know it's both of us and you know that they're like the indignity yeah. <laughs> the indignity oh god they have a little snooze <laughs> they have a little snooze they have a little snooze they, they go through the window right in the morning they sleep in the chitigatsu world at night and then they go through the window in the morning and they walk for hours but they don't see anyone Balthamos is like slow progress and will's like i can't fucking help it i can't help that if you can't say anything useful don't speak at yeah. all and i'm like if you can't say anything nice don't, don't say, say anything, anything at all, all. yeah <laughs> listen to your mother <laughs> <laughs> it's just so like sassy and then like we just get like there's a lot of like walking a lot of directions a lot of like sass happening will asks Balthamos if he'd like some food. Yeah, they find a stream and settle to make camp and Will's eating his Kendall mint cake. He's like, you can't just watch me while I'm eating. It's really awkward. Do you want some food? I don't even know if you eat. And he's like, ooh, what's that about the Kendall mint cake? And Will hands him a bit and I just love the image again of this very grumpy, yeah. very sarcastic angel sat like quietly nibbling on a little square <laughs> of Kendall mint cake. Like, ooh, this is nice <laughs> but like trying to hide it as well like yeah i'm not really enjoying it definitely loving it and definitely being like yeah. this will do but like sugar <laughs> secretly like oh my god this is the best thing i've ever fucking tasted in my entire life <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah he says i think this will nourish me one piece is quite enough thank you i wish i could say that when somebody offered me cake because that's definitely not what i say <laughs> one piece is never enough <laughs> thank you very much he says about baruch 
I feel that he is close. He'll be here very soon. When he returns, we shall talk. Talking is best. Agreed. Talking is best. But I'm going to roll in to this next bit where it says, and barely 10 minutes later, the sound of soft wing beats came to their ears and Balthamos stood up eagerly. The next moment, the two angels were embracing and Will, gazing into the flames, saw their mutual affection. More than affection, they loved each other with a passion. Ah! That's how we do it. That's how we fucking do it, and I love it so much. They're not I just, just love... companions. They're not just. <gasps> They're not just uh, co-workers. They're not just roommates. <laughs> <laughs> they love each other with a passion. They love each other with a passion. They're gay as fuck, and I love queer love, and it's fucking amazing. Yes, 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 yes. yes. And that's how you write it down in words on a page. This yes. is an example. <laughs> This is a great example. We get a bit of description of like what they both look like because Will can see them in this particular light. And basically, Balthamos is, is a twink. <laughs> this is what I wrote down. They've got a very... Um, I was picturing more like a uh, lanky, brooding guy with golden retriever himbo. But Rook okay. is definitely a golden retriever himbo. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 100%. Adorable, very like eager to please, definitely, definitely buff. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, I see that. I, I definitely, I, I, I agree with that, but I definitely read Balthamos as being a bit of a twink. Oh, I was reading more like, yeah, skinny and brooding. Skinny and brooding. Don't yeah. say that, Rich, because that means that obviously I'm going to be attracted to Balthamos because that's 100% <laughs> my type. <laughs> Uh, yes. Baruch sat down beside his companion and Will stirred the fire so that a cloud of smoke drifted past the two of them. It had the effect of outlining their bodies so he could see them both clearly for the first time. Balthamos was slender, his narrow wings were folded, elegantly bent behind his shoulders, and his face bore an expression that mingled haughty disdain with a tender, ardent sympathy, as if he would love all things if only his nature could let him forget their defects. But he saw no defects in Baruch, that was clear. Baruch seemed younger, as Balthamos had said he was, and was more powerfully built, his wings snow-white and massive. He had a simpler nature, and he looked up to Balthamos as to the fount of knowledge and joy. Will found himself intrigued and moved by their love for one another. And so do we. So do we. So ah. do we. Oh, God. I just love that so much. I particularly love the um, the mingled haughty disdain with a tender, ardent sympathy, as if he would love all things, if only his nature could let him forget their defects. I feel yeah. like I, I relate hard to that. That's a very good description. But then also that whole thing of them having this really like cold exterior and a melty, melty core because Baruch has no defects in their eyes. Ah! Oh. It's, I don't, is that like a character trope of like hating everybody except for the person that they love that they melt for? Like, is that, is it Spike and Drusilla a little bit? Like, yes. picks out anybody's flaws, but Drusilla who's like, super like flawed in a lot of ways spike sees none of those flaws and just thinks that she's perfect is it that i don't know it's very spike and drew yeah there's definitely like a absolute melty melty heart interior core of somebody that has like a very steely exterior or like sarcastic exterior that's like a character i'm thinking of that i can't place they are quite spike though i agree like balthamos yeah it does have that like edge of being yeah like there is like a warm core in there. You just got to get to it. Yeah. 
like sarcastic and mean to everybody except mm. for the person that they eyeballs to entrails exactly <laughs> like exactly. would do anything for yes okay i just love okay. love <laughs> me too me too especially queer love <laughs> uh baruch found lyra and he tells will where she is and about mrs coulter and everything that's happening and then he draws will like a bunch of maps and will copies them it's a good job he took that pencil and pad that he picked up in the tent. So apparently there's a gap of four to 5,000 miles between where Will is and where Lyra is. Is that right? How has... One can only assume that Coulter has hijacked some form of blimp to get to where she needs to be, right? right? So I did like... Right, so where is that quote? Let me find it because... Grand Theft Blimpo. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> yeah, it says uh, he drew he drew another map and Will copied that and then a third getting closer in each time so that Will felt he could find his way there without difficulty, provided that he'd crossed the four or 5,000 miles between the tundra and the mountains. So I had a look into this because I'm really terrible with like distances and stuff. Is it big? Is it small? I don't know. Exactly. Is it far? How many hours? I've, I don't even drive, so I have none of that concept locked in at all. So I wanted I wanted to like figure it out in my brain. I do drive, so I have like a little bit, like within like England, I could probably give you a good guess. I kind of like had a quick Google about like where like between four and 5,000 miles would be from the UK. So apparently it is 4,834 miles from the UK to China. And is Will going to walk that far? Hang on, I grabbed my... Um, Have you got an off. atlas? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to get an atlas out and I was like, Faye. <laughs> no, I took a screenshot because somebody had asked on Reddit. Um, and so this is on Reddit, so I don't know how accurate it is because I didn't work it out myself. But somebody had asked like how long it would take to walk from London to Beijing. And apparently it's 5,055 miles between the two places. And that's 168 0.5 days assuming you walk on an average speed of three miles uh per hour 10 hours a day so basically it's a long ass fucking time yeah is he just saying thousands because he just knows it's far is it like an over estimation of it because i i would assume that they're coming out they say they're on like the tundra and they're going to the himal i don't know distances or places they're headed towards the Himalayas. I assumed they would be at, in the foothills or the flat spaces next to the hills that Colt is hiking through to get remote. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it's fucking far, basically. I don't know. I don't understand how they're going to walk there. It's going to take them like half a year. Yeah. How the heck did Colter do it? Mm. She has to have stolen a blimp. Or like, how'd she do that travel? If we go by the TV series, she definitely smuggled Lyra in a suitcase onto a blimp. Yeah. A Zeppelin. A, an airship they go by airship in this don't they but blimp seems to be the thing i've settled on today because it's a fun word to say <laughs> blimp so suddenly both angels look up like a cat that's been spooked yeah i love that description cats can yeah. see ghosts maybe cats can see angels too <laughs> maybe and will can't see anything um but they tell him to put out the fire there was something in the clouds the chariot could it be apparently so says Burke leaned closer and whispered back they know we're here they found us Will take out your knife and before he could finish something hurtled out of the sky and crashed into Balthamos in a fraction of a second Baruch had leapt on it and Balthamos was twisting to free his wings the three beings fought this way and that in the dimness like great wasps caught in a mighty spider's web making no sound all Will could hear was the breaking of twigs and the brushing leaves as they struggled together 
Will then grabs a torch and switches it on and like none of them were expecting that because he can't use the knife because he doesn't want to obviously doesn't want to hurt um Balthamus or Baruch. Yeah. And then we learn that the enemy is another angel who's bigger and stronger. And he shouts, Lord Regent, I have them, which is very formal. It is. It is. Yes. Will kind of essentially gets involved in the fray. He is like trying to hold the wings. He remembers the whole you have flesh, we have not situation. He knows he's stronger. Balthamus and Baruch are trying to get him to cut a way out so that they can go through to another world. But Will can't make that happen just yet because he he has the angel that's come from the sky he is now like slashing it with the knife yeah it meant he mentions um he's killed a cliff gas before but he's never killed something that looks like him which aside from that accidental uh cat trip scenario many yes. moons ago he's not deliberately killed somebody that looks like him before and that that's like kind of hits him a little bit as he ha- but he has to get involved like it's too much of a desperate situation and there's a description of like feathers flying everywhere and mm-hmm. sounds it's all very Phil writes a very good frantic altercation a he tense altercation does. he really does yeah he does yeah they're having a big fight basically Will slashing around and then from above there came a deep tremor like a mighty dynamo, almost too low to hear, though it shook the very atoms of the air and jolted the marrow in Will's bones. The marrow. Marrow. The marrow. He's come in, Balthamos said, almost sobbing, and now Will did catch some of his fear. Please, please, Will. The clouds were parting and through the dark gap a figure was speeding down, small at first, but as it came closer, second by second, the form became bigger and more imposing. He was making straight for them with unmistakable malevolence. At Mel- I can never say that word, say it for me. Malevolence. Malevolence, thank you. Malevolence. <laughs> With unmistakable malevolence. malevolence. Uh, Will was sure he could even see his eyes. This is terrifying. Mm. Something like shooting down from the sky super fast is terrifying. Mm. And like at you. At you, yeah. It's a lot. Yes, it is. Will realises he's killed this other angel. Uh, he's like, he's meaning to say hold him tight. And then this other angel just kind of flops and just disintegrates like mist. Yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, did I kill him? And fortunately, Brooke is like, you had to, which seems to be the case with most of the things that happened to Will. He had yeah. to. Yeah. He hates it, though. He hates it. And I'm like, oh, I feel you. I, I very much feel for him. And he's too young to be going through a lot of this stuff. But the situation is too frantic. And Will, like, can see that they're, like, mortally afraid cuts the window and slides through and he's only just almost finished closing up the Ziploc bag when he feels like the air go through it and he can like feel that he's zipped up only just before this like spear would have like gone through the window and through all of them. Very dramatic, very tense. We love it. Very similar to Will closing up the window in the TV series with the monkey leaping at him and then it's closed and the monkey hits the wall that but with a spear (laughs) yes yes um so they are on a sandy beach when they get through which is good because will was feeling chilly before and now it's warm (laughs) so who was that said will trembling facing the two angels that was metatron said balthamos metatron metatron honestly i hate that name because it makes me think of transformers it makes me think of megatron fortunately for me it makes me think of my grandma's cat i I have i'm sorry rach i have a note that says 
Metatron, I can only think of Megatron from Transformers and then your nan's cat. That's literally what my note says. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, my nan had had sadly in the past tense a beautiful cat called megatron who she inherited from my cousin who moved house and couldn't uh was renting and couldn't keep a pet in the place he was moving to and so he gave my nan his cat and she was called megatron but instead of shortening it to like meg which is a very appropriate cat name for like an eight-year-old woman she shortened it to tron which is even more amazing in sci-fi and I we love it love this. i yeah, my nan's badass. <laughs> I love that story so much. And also just like, is it, was, you say it was your cousin that had yeah. the cat originally. Calling the cat Megatron in the first place. Yeah, like, they, she was a stray and they found her on the street and she had like, she's limped her whole life. She has like a, a crushed paw. And so, but she would always like, she could still like manage to get on top of a wardrobe and not get down. And then like when she met someone new and knew that my grandma would give them treats to give to the cat, she would really play up the limp. She'd, all, oh, nice. she'd go from like trotting along with a slight limp to like dragging her foot along the floor like I'm so <laughs> <laughs> it's just like ugh, cats they know how to manipulate us <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know why but because of the Megatron Metatron thing I don't like it I don't like Metatron the name Metatron it just seems really out of character for everything in these books if you mm. accidentally hear me call this thing Megatron just uh, apologies in advance because I will don't apologize it's a silly name and it also makes me think of Megatron as well so yeah there you go it's just that now for me Megatron is more associated with a cat than it is with Transformers anyway so (laughs) yeah yes Megatron's the leader of the Decepticons right yes because otherwise it would be Optimus Prime Prime is the good guy right he's a good guy yeah I used to fucking love Transformers I should know that anyway after the Transformer Angel nearly kills them, they're sitting on the beach. <laughs> yes. After the Angel, that's shaped like a giant truck, throws a spear at them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They have like what I can only see, especially because they get set up with like a little fire, I think, and everything. It's like a little campfire story, like mm, yeah, sitting on the beach, learning some history. <laughs> I think it's really sweet. So... They've been, like, withholding information from Will, and Will's basically, like, fucking tell me, basically. Like, who, what, who is Metatron? Like, what is happening? Why are things flying out of the sky trying to kill us? Yeah, Somebody tell me. Yes. Um, <laughs> Again, I love seeing Balthamas admitting their faults, um, especially for somebody that seems so proud, because um, Baruch says, we must tell him, you should have told him already. And Balthamas is like, yes, I should but I was cross with him and anxious for you. And like, I feel that. I feel that pettiness. And then like looking back on that pettiness and being like, I'm sorry, I, I, I was petty. Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, totally. Will says, tell me about Metatron and what this secret is. Why did that angel call him Regent? And what is the authority? Is he God? Um, and Balthamos says, uh, the authority, God, the creator, the Lord, Yahweh, Adonai, the king, the father, the almighty, those are all names he gave himself. He was never the creator. He was an angel like ourselves. The first angel, true, the most powerful, but he was formed of dust as we are. And dust is only a name for what happens when matter begins to understand itself. Matter loves matter. It seeks to know more about itself and dust is formed. The first angels condensed out of dust and the authority was the first of all. He told those who came after him that he had created them, but it was a lie. One of those who came later was wiser than he was and she found out the truth. So he banished her. We serve her still. 
and the authority still reigns in the kingdom and Metatron is his region. I want to meet this lady who yes. they serve. <laughs> I use the word lady. I don't know what she is, but um, I would like to meet her, please. Yes. Just your classic interge- intergenerational prehistoric gaslighting. Yes. By the sounds of it, to mm-hmm. be honest. Just, just going to be the first one to show up and then weave a lie to just make the entire world think that I created mm. it. This sure. is like, you know, <laughs> this is, we're, start, we're seeing a lot more of like Phil's disdain for religion and the Bible here, right? Yes. So mm-hmm. like, again, we're not going to get too heavy into the metaphysical speculation <laughs> <laughs> with a lot of it, but yeah, seeing a lot of this disdain come through and reading this book and especially these sections of these this book you can see why potentially some of the like a bit more super right-wing christian vibes of some of the production companies that said no to the movies continuing yeah yeah what they might have taken offense at it could it be the gay angels could it be uh Phil telling us that God has been gaslighting in the world into thinking that he created it. It could be any of these things. Mm, Um, mm, mm, mm. Any and all of these things. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder what it could be that's upsetting the bigots. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, so we learn that, like, his citadel is called the Clouded Mountain and, like, the authority's in there and it moves around and it's very difficult to, like, get into um and they've tried and they failed it's very wizard of oz yes uh, sorry i was just trying to think about what it was yeah it's very wizard of oz yes. um very like oh it was it was all very open and then all of these clouds kept coming up and up and up and suddenly the top of this mountain was inaccessible and very secretive and nobody's seen the authority in years and it's yeah. like where's the wizard who's the wizard mm-hmm. where's the man behind the curtain yes what's going on yes 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 <laughs> we learned that the authority has delegated a lot of his power to metatron which is why they were fucking terrified of that transformer coming from the sky. <laughs> why he was so beefy mm-hmm. and very bright and visible. Again, just going to call out every time that Baruch and Balthamos have like an amazing moment of like honesty and just breaking down some breaking down some boundaries and mm-hmm. some animosity. We're here for it. Balthamos Baruch said Baruch gently, "Don't chide, Will. We need his help, and he can't be blamed for not knowing what it took us so long to find out." I love that vibe, which is, it's all well and good, um, Balthamos being like high and mighty and being like, you know, we've escaped, it's too late, he's seen the knife, blaming a bunch of stuff on Will, and then Baruch being like, can we re- is it, is it chill to have a go at this kid that didn't know any of the stuff that it took us literally years, and we don't know how many hundreds of years he means when he says years, because he's so old, like they both are, um, something that has taken us this long to find out and he's only just learning this information. Why are we Why are we being mean to him? Why are we treating him like he's stupid when we've had years to learn this and he's just come into the conversation? Yeah. And I have a lot of space for that sentiment, which is making space for people having time to learn mm-hmm. and catch up and not being like mean to somebody just because they've only just joined in the conversation. It's, it's a great sentiment and I'm here for it. <laughs> no, it is. I completely agree with you. And I think like when I was younger, especially, I've definitely been guilty of that in the past. Do you know, like that kind of like, you don't know a vibe when it's like, well, it's not yeah. their fucking fault, is it? We're all that person sometimes. We all, we all learn new things and come into new things that people have known about for years. And, you know, it's just being kind, just being kind. Mm-hmm. 
then Will randomly asks what happened when what happens when we die. I mean, you've just met an angel. You found out like what's going on with <laughs> heaven. One assumes heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's a good it's a good question. We're getting metaphysical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Baruch says, "Well, there is a world of the dead. Where it is and what happens there, no one knows. My ghost, thanks for Balthamos, never went there. I am what was once the ghost of Baruch." The world of the dead is just dark to us. It is a prism camp, says Balthamos. The authority established it in the early ages. Why do you want to know? You will see it in time. And this is obviously, we're learning about this. We know that Roger's there because we've we've been in those dreams with Lyra. And it just makes my heart sad to think that Roger's in a prison camp. Yeah, bleak. Explains why it was so bleak when it was being described. Will's inquiring more about it and... um... Baruch says, everything about it is secret. Even the churches don't know. They tell their believers they'll live in heaven, but that's a lie. If people really knew. Hey, Phil, I wonder why religious people are really scared, like really offended by your books. <laughs> Let's just tell everybody in chapter two of the third book <laughs> that heaven is a lie. <laughs> I mean, it is. He's got that fucking, that tenacity to uh, to do it. And I appreciate that. Like, fucking say it you know like i don't disagree like obviously everybody knows like i'm not a religious person i do not disagree with what phil says has said so far yeah i mean it would be nice if he wasn't also saying uh that heaven is a lie and you're basically just gonna go to prison when you die that's extra depressing but (laughs) yeah i mean yeah i mean yeah within the world of his book it's like extra depressing but i just love that this the audacity (laughs) Uh, the tenacity to be like heaven's a lie next carry on as if it's a really normal part of the conversation like yeah sure so obviously will is asking because his dad has just gone there um and he is worried about his dad it's not the great it's not the best answer to get when you've just asked as well you were kind of hoping for rainbows and puppies and that's not what you got (laughs) so will will says why didn't you go to lord asriel with your great secret instead of looking for me uh, we were not sure, said Balthamos, that we uh, that he would believe us unless we brought him proof of our good intentions. Two angels of low rank among all the powers he is dealing with. Why should he take us seriously? But if we could bring in the knife and its bearer, he might listen. The knife is a potent weapon and Lord Asriel would be glad to have you on his side. We were just bringing you along as um, as like a host gift yeah. to the party, yeah. actually. Oh, cheers. You're not that important. Yeah. We were bringing you... To like just get a, an audience with the host of the party. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We're bringing you because you just so happen to be the bearer and we can't really bring the knife without the bearer. So you may as well come along. Yeah. <laughs> just makes it sound like Will's like not an afterthought, but yeah, like it makes his presence there just be like, oh, you're just there so that we can actually talk to the big guy. Like, yeah, we don't. You're the bottle of wine that we took to the party. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. But also just that thing of like, again, everyone is just raising Asriel up to this mm-hmm. really high station. Oh, we're just two lowly angels that feel not worthy to speak to a human man who is a bad father. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've not said it yet this episode and I just felt like we needed to squeeze it in somewhere. Asriel's a bad dad. Bad dad. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Should we make some stickers that are bad dad? <laughs> Balloon yeah. dad, bad dad, bad dad. I don't want a fucking Asriel sticker actually. Fuck that. Maybe a Stel Maria sticker because she's pretty. Yeah, she's pretty. She's pretty. So they also wanted to make sure that the knife didn't fall into fucking Megatron's hands. Yes. And 
Will's like, you're making it harder for me to reach Lyra, not easier. She's the most important thing and you're forgetting her completely. Well, I'm not. Why don't you just go to Lord Azrael and leave me alone? Make him listen. You could fly to him more quickly than I can walk. And I'm going to find Lyra first, come what may. Just do that. Just go. Just leave me. Will's at the end of his tether, bless him. And Balthamos is like, but you need me because I can pretend to be your demon. <laughs> I love that because they've been like, oh, the indignity, the indignity. Yeah. But then in this moment when they're like, but you need me because I can pretend to be your demon. And in Lyra's world, you'd stand out otherwise. And like, it's like, is that because they care or is that because they were like, but I was being helpful. <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> Or is that like a, but you need me? I read it as that. I read it as okay. being like, oh, well, you fucking need me. Like, what are you going to do without me? You can't go Lyra's world without me, can you? True that. Maybe, oh no. I kind of preferred it as I go, but you need me. <laughs> you need but me. You're right. It, he does say, uh, it does say that Balthamos says, says this stiffly. So yeah. I guess, yeah. The angels have like a little conversation together and then they apologize to Will and they say that they're, uh, that uh, Baruch is going to make his way to Azrael by himself and give him the information that they have and ask him to send you help to find Lyra. He says, it'll be two days of flying time if I navigate truly. And then Balthamos says that he's going to stay with Will and Will thanks them. Uh, and then obviously, because we've got to read this, the two angels embrace. Then Baruch folded his, wing, uh, folded his arms around Will and kissed him on both cheeks. The kiss was light and cool, like the hands of Balthamos. Cute. Oh, lovely. Cute, cute, cute. Goodbye, lovely boyfriend. Bye. Bye, boy. We'll miss you. <laughs> So it's bedtime. It's bedtime. We're going to finish on a nap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Will's getting settled. And again, I feel like I've just been leading up to this because this is like the prime vibe of when you've been really stinky with somebody all day. Mm -hmm. And then you actually admit it and say sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's great. Balthamos says, then sleep and I'll watch out for danger. Will, I have been short with you and it was wrong of me. You have the greatest burden and I should help you, not chide you. I shall try to be kinder from now on. It takes a very big person to do that because I can tell you there's a, a number of times when I've been stinky as heck all day, being really mean to people and I have not apologised. And it's only a couple of days later that I'm like, I've been in a really bad mood and I've definitely taken out on everybody else. I oh, same. Apologize. It's only like when you're, <laughs> for me, it's only when I'm like out of the bad mood that I'm like, oh, fuck. Like when I'm in yeah. it, it's like, you're probably not going to get an apology from me until I'm out of that mood and being like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, or uh, quite often it happens to me and it's like, why was I really like really angry or really crying or really something? It's like two days later, it's like, Hey, period. Oh, God. Oh, tell me <laughs> tell me about it. I'm, I'm sorry for what I said when I was hungry, and I'm sorry for what I said when I was PMSing. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry for what I said when I was actively bleeding out of my vagina for five days. Please, can you forgive me? <laughs> no. <laughs> also, hungry. Hangry is mm. definitely... Maybe... Balthamos has only had a single cube of Kendall mint cake. Maybe they've been hangry this whole Maybe. time. <laughs> Maybe. That is a possibility. It's a possibility. So Will goes to sleep and then we're back in Lyra's dream world. And can you remember that eye that we left on? It's not continuous. Oh, at yeah. the end of it. Oh. <laughs> yes. Um, so she's promising to get Roger out of there. Will's coming. Roger's like, who the fuck is Will? <laughs> like, who is she? I don't know her. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? What is? what the fuck is Will going to do? I don't know who this fucking Will is. Um, 
I love I love your reading of Roger just not being like sweet and innocent and lost at all. He's just like, who is this person? How are they going to help me? He's got no time for this shit. He's trapped in the world of the dead. Like, yeah. he doesn't give a shit who Will is. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and then Lyra starts um, listing all the people that are going to come and help. Yeah. Do you notice that she doesn't get to say Lee or... Do you think she's? Is that what she was going to say? Think she was going to say? No, not me looking I'm, ahead. Not not me looking ahead to find out if it if it did finish with Lee. Oh, I can't say because it's a spoiler. But interesting. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out what that noise means in two weeks' time, folks. <laughs> yeah, and then it's just a like a little bit of a snippet with Lyra and Roger, and then it ends again like in, in half a sentence. So I'm sure at the end of chapter three, we'll find out what happens next there and what that yeah. se- what the end of that sentence will be. How are we feeling about the fact that all we've heard from Lyra has been like two very short little dreamscapes and we're two chapters into the book? Are we finding it interesting? I do miss her, but I also missed her at the beginning of The Subtle Knife and I know that she comes into it much more quickly than she does at the beginning, uh, like in the beginning of The Subtle Knife than she does here, but yeah, I do miss her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I miss her. We need some Lyra logic up in the building. We some, do. Li- some more lying. Everyone's been mm. really honest with each other. Where's Where's the lies? <laughs> Where Come on, Lyra? The lies? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was quite the chapter. It was a difficult one to get through. I think um, lots of like lots of new information interspersed with lots of like like not b- the chapter is in no means boring, but in terms of like what the characters are doing is quite boring. Like it's very tedious for them the characters that they're just walking and walking and stopping and walking and stopping and walking and you can really feel that i think within the chapter it's walking and exposition yeah yeah <laughs> basically yeah. <laughs> just fine like i'm here for it we've got to learn these things i love will exploring with the knife and finding out what he can do he needed that time this is the first time he's had that space yeah to take that breather and his hand not be hurting and like this is the first chapter we've had it with him in a long time where it's not mentioned how much pain he's in and mm-hmm. how he's like pale and drained and it's probably a big relief mm-hmm. like I'm very glad for Will that his hand isn't hurting and we're getting this like the old Will back yes definitely um, and yeah it is a bit like walkie stoppy walkie stoppy here's an angel there's an angel everywhere's an angel <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah yeah Do you have an award to give out? I wrote it in my notes and so I'm just going to go for it. It was, it would probably have been for Balthamos because I love the sass, but I wrote Tiny Lizard deserves an award. Oh, so Tiny Lizard nice. gets the award love for just that. being there and being delightful. Thanks Tiny Lizard for making Will jump. Why were you in the thing? There was no, there, you had no point yeah, in the chapter that's great. whatsoever, Tiny Lizard, but you still deserve an award because lizards are great. Love that. <laughs> yep, agreed. Great one. That's a really good one. I went for I went for Baruch or Baruch because he just seems he's just very gentle and loving and like he brings out the kinder side in Balthamoth. And yeah, I just liked um how yeah, how gentle he was with Will and like how understanding he was of like Will's situation and all that kind of stuff. And even when he was talking to Balthamoth about like not treating Will a certain way. He didn't say it to him like in a dickheadish way. He was just very kind about, you know, how Balthamos was probably feeling as well. So it's just really sweet. It is. It's because he's a lovely golden retriever boyfriend. Oh, we love we him. Love to see it. 
do. Yes. Butterscotch hunk. Butterscotch hunk. Oh my God. That's what he is. He is. Yes, he is. <laughs> if, you, if you've listened to Buffering the Vampire Slayer, you will understand. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Speaking of awards and rewards, we are ever nearing our goal of getting those 50 entries into our review prize draw. To enter, all you have to do is leave us a very lovely, very positive review on anywhere you can leave a review for the podcast, really. Apple Podcasts, Facebook as well, that works. Wherever, if your podcast platform lets you reviewers, reviewers, screenshot it and email the screenshot to herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com and that email counts as your entry into a prize draw and a bunch of you, 10 people, when we hit 50, 10 people will be drawn from a hat And those 10 people will get the bookmarks that we've made. And one of those people, one of those 10, will be redrawn from the same hat. Um, (laughs) And one of you will win the full up-to-date merch pack that includes all of the stickers that we have done up to date of whenever we finish the competition, basically. So at the moment, you'll get season one, season two, balloon dad, bear dad, Mm -hmm. and some bookmarks. Yay. It's pretty pretty cool. Pretty cool. Please give us five stars and say nice things. And if you can't review us or you don't want to, please tell a friend about us because, you know, it's great. That's a great way to show your love for us, to tell your potentially uh, His Dark Materials friends about us uh, doing doing the work over here and hope that they might enjoy the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. Just before we hit the outro... I wanted to do an extra big thank you shout out to Johnny Knott who has written us, you may have noticed in the intro, some very snazzy new theme music. So please do enjoy that as we roll out of the show. And thank you so much, Johnny, for updating the music for us. It sounds awesome. Yay. Thanks, Johnny. Woo, Johnny. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdartmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rich. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye, and when I'm not talking about my favourite queer angels, you can find me talking about Paramore on my other podcast, Still Into You. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and find us on Twitter and Instagram at Still Into You Pod. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about tiny lizards that get in the way, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter and TikTok at Rach underscore makes, and over in my online shop, rachemakes.co.uk. Huge thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks' time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well.